1: Hello everyone, we're taking these next two weeks off but fear not, we've got a couple great throwback episodes for you in the meantime and today we're going to start with one of our favorites, a deep dive into some of the weirdest songs of the 1990s on Pop. Welcome to Switched On Pop, I'm musicologist Nate Sloan And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Charlie, we're continuing our summer throwback season here. Loving it. And in this episode, I want to revisit a time that for us 80s babies was an incredibly (laughs) formative decade. I want to go back to the 90s. Yes. Great. Wonderful. So many summer jams. (laughs) There's so much to talk about in 90s music, but one question keeps nagging me when I think about this musical decade. Yeah. I guess there's no other way to phrase it. Why is 90s music so weird? (laughs) Oh,
2: wow. I don't know. I guess we could say that it's a... um, musical representation of Fukuyama's End of History, and uh, and so a <laughs> uh, I don't know, a postmodern malaise
1: I, Ooh, yeah, I don't even know I love it, I love it, yeah, no, no, we'll get there I, that was a rhetorical question, though I appreciate <laughs> your <laughs> enthusiasm Thanks. but hopefully we can agree this was a strange time in music first of all, we had all these crazy musical contradictions sharing the charts, we had mm-hmm. Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit Yep Sharing the charts with something like Aqua's bubblegum social (laughs) critique, Barbie Girl. (laughs) Yeah, really different musical traditions. It was a bizarre time, and I think in order to unpack it, no. let's do close listening. you know, that's our specialty. Yeah. let's pick two massive hits from that decade and try and understand what makes them tick. So in the first half, Charlie, I want to discuss a song. Well, I'll let it introduce itself.
3: i been married long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from
4: This
2: is absurd. This is actually the perfect (laughs) synthesis of Smells Like Teen Spirit and Barbie Girl, because you have the uh, distorted synth lines mashed up against the very bizarre uh, sort of Euro pop thing. But I don't know where the country comes from. So we're mashing up a whole nother genre. This is too much.
1: Very maximalist. Okay, so we're listening to Cotton Eye Joe. Mm. What's the first memory that this song conjures for you, Charles?
2: Having my parents drive me to the movies listening to the radio in the back of the car. Great. And you're what, like eight or something at this point? I'm getting to the age where I
1: feel embarrassed all the time. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of embarrassed, this song makes me think of bar mitzvah season at Mm. my junior high school This was the track that brought everyone onto the dance floor Because of course this song had its own dance that you can do It's one of those rare songs that has this pre-easy choreographed dance that everyone can join in on Back to back with the electric slide and then the Macarena yeah. Yeah, exactly why is this song so freaking popular? Because you can still hear this song today at weddings, on the dance floor. I mean, it is still with us. Yeah, it's even like a stadium anthem, I feel like, uh, at sports arenas. Yes, exactly. I mean, this song came out in 94, so two <laughs> decades plus on, it's still very much with us. I wanna go deep into Cotton Night Judge. I wanna go deeper, perhaps, than anyone has ever gone. Dear Lord. Before. <laughs> First, I want to analyze this song as we do, try and find out why it is so effective at hooking our ears, you know, for twenty years plus. Mm-hmm. And then I want to get into the history of the song because when we do, we'll see that Cotton Eye Joe doesn't just tell us something about the '90s; <laughs> it actually tells us something about a century plus of pop music. You're <laughs> you're going real deep, man. All right, I'm here for you though.
3: Yo, I've been married long time ago. So
1: let's stop right in the acapella vocal that starts this song. That yeah. makes us immediately go, oh, it's time to rush onto the dance floor en masse. <laughs> let's just figure out what's going on here, because we've got this vocal. We've got a strong Southern accent. It's super rhythmic and syncopated, and there's also a lot of delay present, right? Yeah, the every single time that he says
2: a word, they sort of ping-pong back and forth uh, into your left and right
1: ear delayed multiple times. Exactly. So it's not just Cotton Eye Joe. It's Cotton Eye, Cotton Joe. Joe. Cotton Eye Joe. It's almost nauseating. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's the very beginning of the song, and I think this is really effective, especially, again, if you think of this like as a dance floor anthem at kind of grabbing your attention. Yeah. And then step two is the moment that blows our minds, so to speak. <laughs> because what they are doing here is taking this acapella, unrefined vocal, yep. and then all of a sudden putting something completely unexpected underneath it. <laughs> And this creates a kind of suspense for us because it's like, wait, yeah. what is happening here? These two <laughs> things are not supposed to go together. This acapella <laughs> country vocal and this like harsh 90s Euro pop synth line. Yeah,
2: yep. Though interesting that the, uh, the synth line does balance the delayed vocal because the synth has a thing called a gate on it where it keeps getting cut off, right? It gets cut off in a rhythmic sequence, gated kind of to then let the delayed sound of his voice fill that other space. So they are really contrasting sonically, but actually musically somehow strangely work.
1: I totally agree. I couldn't put it better. That could be the the epitaph for the song. Somehow, strangely, it worked. so now we've had this moment of dissonance right where these two Mm -hmm. uh, genres are colliding and then step three is kind of where it all comes together we get the fiddle and the four on the floor bass drum again two worlds that should not merge and yet they do and as you said (laughs) strangely somehow it works You know, it takes me back to when we used to
2: play in a little uh, old-timey band together, but we were missing the mega synth in our string
1: band. We totally could have made it. That's right, Charles. And then step four is when it all comes together. All these different elements, the vocal, the fiddle from the country world, and then the synthesizer and the foreign floor bass drum from the Europop dance world. It all lands in this satisfying conclusion. It's so Eurovision. It's absolutely. It is very Eurovision. Okay. So now at this point, they've slowly, step by step, brought us into their weird Eurovision world, right? Yes. And I think in doing it kind of one step at a time like that, they've convinced us. They've persuaded us. Yes, this is happening. And yes, you actually like it. (laughs) This song is so
2: old and I've heard it so many hundreds of times. I can't really definitively have a relationship to it other than it just is. You know, so it's almost hard to hear that build, but I think your
1: breakdown is correct. Yes. No, I know what you mean. It's hard to have distance on this one. I mean, and that's (laughs) a product of our our generation. Maybe people older than us and younger than us might not necessarily feel this way. They might be listening to this saying, no, actually, this doesn't make any sense.
2: Please stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's only been reified for a certain generation.
1: But if you have been convinced, then what's remarkable is that the song is able to get away with some really uh, surprising things that I think other pop songs would not be able to do. Pray tell. Let's listen to the female vocal that comes in a little bit later, which I've never really paid attention to before. And all of a sudden listening to it, I'm thinking, wow, this is not very good. (laughs) Uh, in the sense that the singer is like barely hitting the high notes here. It's almost extended beyond her range. Pre-auto-tune. And yet it doesn't matter because we've been hooked in at this point and they could probably do anything to the track, including, as you'll hear, these gang vocals in the background and these silly little yodels and stuff. It doesn't matter. They've convinced us. But let's listen to this female vocal for a second. (laughs)
2: That sounds like somebody trying to do Madonna in karaoke very poorly
1: (laughs) with a banjo in the background for good measure. Ouch. Yeah. This is, wow. This is, this is about as catty as we've ever gotten on the show. (laughs) And then it ends with this really goofy, like shotgun sound effect, bringing us right back into the chorus. Wow. We come back to the same statement. It shouldn't work. And yet somehow it does.
2: Hmm it makes me wonder if what was happening in country music in this period is this like when country music fully crossed over into just being straight up pop music completely separated from its roots in acoustic and folk-oriented sounds?
1: In order to answer that, Charles, you're going to have to take a journey with me, okay? (laughs) I
2: queued you up. Look at that.
1: So strap in because you'll notice I have not talked about the creators of this song yet. Do you have any idea who who recorded Cotton Eye Joe, this track we're listening to in 1994? Definitely a one-hit wonder. Yes, but you might be surprised how much mileage they've gotten out of that one hit. The makers of Cotton Eye Joe is a Swedish band called Rednecks. Is that Rednecks spelled with an X? Yes, it is. Absolutely.
2: And I, okay, at this point, I definitely need to look this up on the computer and see
1: were they ever Eurovision contestants because I want,
2: damn it, no they weren't
1: no eurovision adjacent okay charlie but i don't think i don't think you're prepared I, you don't sound strapped in for the the journey we're about to take i need you to really no, I'll walk I, I can't in. you can't be googling i need you 100% here because there's going to be a lot of twists and turns here okay? okay okay and in order to begin sound effect please we need to go back to sweden 1994 3 producers are messing around and they come up with this bizarre country electro dance hybrid cotton eye joe Mm -hmm. this song unexpectedly starts taking off let's call these three producers for the sake of shorthand because again this is a convoluted tale let's call them the swedes okay sure okay now the swedes all of a sudden have this unexpected hit cotton eye joe quickly becoming an international success. What do they do? They need to start a band. Okay. So they hire four people to dress up in overalls, (laughs) put dirt on their face, dance around with a bunch of straw, wave Confederate flags around. Oh, no. And mime, playing fiddles, banjos,
2: and singing. And I also noticed from my quick Wikipedia, they also had dreadlocks because cultural misunderstanding
1: yes this is whatever warped idea of the american south was (sighs) uh you know current in sweden in the mid 90s (laughs) okay and despite to our eyes what must be the borderline offensive certainly ridiculous spectacle of of, of four swedes lip-syncing and prancing around (laughs) in in this like fake southern attire yeah rednecks just Skyrockets to success. They are touring all around Europe on the back of Cotton Eye Joe. Wow. Okay, let's zoom forward now. 2001, it's been seven years of the Swedes and their kind of fake band (laughs) performing around (laughs) Europe. And the Swedes are realizing, you know, the music industry is changing. Mm -hmm. Napster is on the scene. Mm -hmm. We can't be reliant on record sales anymore. And what they propose is that, okay, we're going to take Rednecks. We're not even going to make it a band anymore. Rednecks is no longer a band. It's a spectacle. It's like this theatrical (laughs) experience. And it's just going to be a live show. What do you think? The four members they hired are like... No, they suddenly have this crisis of artistic conscience. They're like, no, that's not what we signed on for. And the Swedes go, okay, you're fired. (laughs) Whoa, wait, what? And they eliminate en masse the entire rednecks lineup. (laughs) They're all gone. And they replace them with four entirely new people. Oh, my gosh. To prance around in overalls and wave Confederate flags. It is a spectacle. Okay, so it's a spectacle. They get the Swedes get their way. This goes well for about four years, and then drum roll, the return. The female singer who was ejected in 2001. Mm-hmm. Let's call her Annika.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All of a sudden, she is back on the scene because she has gained through power of attorney copyright over the name Rednecks. <laughs> So, all of a sudden, all the intellectual property of Rednecks belongs to her, and she goes ahead and fires all the members that replaced her. Whoa. And now, for the second time, the entire lineup of this band has changed, and she starts hiring her husband, uh, other friends to take over, Mm -hmm. and for the next four years, now Annika, having usurped Rednecks from the original Swedes, (laughs) tours as Rednecks. Okay. Right, returning it to the its artistic roots. <laughs> wow. Okay, then in 2009, her copyright expires okay. and the Swedes take over once again. And <laughs> for now, if I'm keeping track the third time, the entire no, the fourth time, I don't know. The entire lineup <laughs> of Rednecks again is fired and replaced with new people. Oh my gosh. Okay, so now the Swedes are back in charge 2009. They have been managing this band on and off for over 15 years. And they say, okay, we've, we've, we've kind of had enough of this. Rednecks is no longer a band. It's no longer a live show. It is a concept. <laughs> and Rednecks can be anywhere and anything and made up of any one. <laughs> so now there's not even just one Rednecks anymore. There's Rednecks New Zealand. There's Rednecks Scandinavia. Rednecks is wherever and whoever you need them to be at any
2: time. Wow, this is uh, yeah, very much the '90s all wrapped together. You have the uh, beginning of the decimation of the public sector and, in particular, organized labor. And so this feels like uh, you know, consultants coming in and sort of uh, kicking everyone out of the company, uh, making all the efficiencies, IPOing it, and then sinking
1: the company. But through Rednecks, a band. You, you, wow, Charles, you nailed it. Because not (laughs) only that, Rednecks is not only a concept it is for sale. Mm, interesting. Yeah. No, I, I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean you can literally go Wait, what? to the Rednecks website right now. Okay. You can go to the merchandise section. I'm checking this out. And among, you know, CDs, t-shirts, posters, etc., yeah, you can add to cart the entire intellectual property for the band Rednecks for <laughs> 2 million euros no way yeah okay hold on if we had that money Lauren. we could own rednecks right now
2: pop band for sale now only two million nine hundred thousand dollars and it's all yours Oh my gosh. Like I said, we had a pretty great little string band going. The only thing that was missing was that synthesizer. You and I and all of our
1: listeners could become rednecks. Yes. Am I right in thinking that you're saying we crowdsource the the funding and we get a a bunch of people together and we all have equal shares in rednecks? Because I'm into that. I would do it maybe just to actually shut
2: down the brand for good. (laughs) to be frank
1: well I don't think this is a, a, an inappropriate valuation I mean they're still doing really well off Cotton Eye Joe and Charlie it's not just Cotton Eye Joe that you would get to own what do I get you would get to own other hits such as <laughs> Old Pop in an Oak Old oh, Pop in an Oak Pop in an
3: Oak once you can hear suck like a lingle show thought I ever gonna see my old pop in an Oak you ever gonna see so pop in a smoke oh pop in an Oak pop in an Oak once you can hear suck like a lingle.
2: Oh, it's the same song. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, I've
1: never heard something so derivatively copied just to make more money. <laughs> you know, you're right. You're right, Charlie. And that was unfair of me because I just picked a song. You know, plenty of no. bands have songs that sound familiar. That was totally unfair. Let's do them sure, justice. Sure, sure. Let's pick another one. Okay, let's listen to okay. The Way I Mate. The way I made, The way I made,
4: The way I made. Oh. Oh. I I
2: oh my gosh their concerts must be some like amnesiac hell
1: we may never know but they
2: (laughs) but they are still (laughs) groundhog's day man
1: they're still popular, Charlie. You can still. They're still touring. Oh and people God. are still going. They're still making money. So I'm not. as wrong I, It with wouldn't people. be a bad idea to buy this band if you had the means. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> it makes
2: me think of like a uh, Naomi Klein's book No Logo, which is that corporations figured out they didn't actually have to own anything; they just had to own a brand. And so this is really the period of time in which everything gets offshore, manufacturing gets gutted. It's all you know multi-decade history but this is like the height of brand mania so we could own the brand rednecks which again just to be very clear i would not be very proud of owning that brand <laughs> given uh, all of its appropriations misunderstandings and just yeah uh, bad imagery
1: yes and yet charlie there's another side to this story too no you've painted the dark side of the developments in the 20th century i'm pretty saccharine now let's paint the light side okay and in order to do that we have to move away from rednecks for a second Mm -hmm. and move into cotton-eyed joe himself or the song itself i should say sure because this little excerpt that underlies all of this 1994 euro country mashup yeah is an incredibly old song. Hmm. And as we trace it from its roots in America before the Civil War, in fact, all Mm -hmm. the way up to the present, Mm -hmm. I think we can tell another story, which is a story about the enduring power of music. I'm gritting my teeth, but I'm very curious. And that's all I can ask of you, Charles. So Cotton Eye Joe, this is a song that predates the Civil War, Hmm. and like so much of great American music, it originated as a slave song. Hmm. This was something that Began in African American communities and then went on to have a truly long and truly bizarre life of its own. Hmm. First, it becomes like so much African American music warped through the minstrel tradition. Right. Unsurprisingly. Now we're in the Reconstruction era, and this song is being used in blackface performances by white musicians, both to mock and celebrate black culture. Right. We unfortunately don't have any recordings from this time, Mm -hmm. but we can see how the song in the beginning of the 20th century moves from the minstrel tradition into something a little more mainstream. It actually Mm. becomes a square dance classic. Really? Wow, okay. So this song originating as a slave song before the Civil War becoming a minstrel tune is now making its rounds throughout the American South either with lyrics or instrumentally as a square dance song we can hear now for the first time a recording from the early 1920s by Fiddlin' John Carson. And you can hear clearly that this is a song for square dancing because fiddlin' John Carson yells, grab your partner for the first step. <laughs> right, right.
4: Hit your partner for the first step!
1: And from this point, we can watch this song wend its way through a number of different styles. Fast forward a few decades into the 1940s, it's a hallmark of the Western swing sound as popularized by bands like Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys.
4: Down in the cotton patch, down below, everybody's singing the Cotton Eye Joe, everybody's singing the Cotton Eye Joe. Hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd have been married a long time ago, I'd have been married a long time ago. Uh-huh. ago
1: Oh, and now you're starting to see this fuse with other traditions. Yeah, this kind of jaunty, swung uh, combination of jazz and country. Yeah. Moving forward through the decade, we get to the 1960s, and like so many folk songs, this one is revived for the Greenwich Village folk music scene. We can listen to a kind of haunting version of it by uh, the singer Karen Dalton.
2: There's a self-consciously
1: coffee shop folk song. Exactly, right? So yet another kind of palimpsest in this Cotton Eye Joe story. Mm. And then finally, I think, to something of its current iteration, we can listen to a version of the song that came out in the 90s just before the Rednecks version. This is Ricky Skaggs and the Chieftains. Mm. And I think you'll hear, it might be a little familiar at this point. If
3: it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe?
2: Wow, okay, so it almost sounds like the Rednecks version... Of Cotton Eye Joe is like a minstrelsy of the chieftain's version, which comes through the history of minstrelsy. Yes.
1: yeah it's wild stuff i mean i think you've put it really well charlie this is like a swedish minstrel version of white america which in turn is a minstrel version of african-american culture it's so insane
2: yeah and by the way now it's for sale right (laughs) like how that's disgusting Like actually the worst parts of modern culture and capitalism you can literally buy an old slave song and it's and the spectacle of the
1: swedish band around it i hear you chuck and yet i maybe opt to take a more positive view because to me you could also say what's equally remarkable is the enduring power of this snippet of american folk music that came out of a very dark time in American history and yet manages to stay relevant over a century and a half later, Mm. that's remarkable. And certainly it can be marshaled in these disgusting ways, as you say. But What I'd like to think is that the essential power of that song has not diminished. And Mm. in order to make my argument a little Mm. more forcefully, uh, I need to bring out a big gun, and that's Nina Simone, (laughs) who did an absolutely mesmerizing version of this song in
4: 1959. Where do you come from? And where do you go? What a voice. Where do you come from, my Cotton-Eyed Joe?
1: So my hope is that this song can still be redeemed in a sense by focusing on its interpretations in the hands of people like Nina Simone rather than... Uh, what I, a band I, I whose name I, yeah. I hesitate to even say now, Rednecks. Yeah. I guess how I want to wrap up the first half of this episode is in rediscovering the power of this song not through its presence on the dance floor mm. uh, at bar mitzvahs and stadiums, but by the more nuanced interpretations that it continues to have for people. Yeah. So... I don't think this song is done by any means. I don't think Rednecks has ruined it. I think there's still more life in this Cotton Eye Joe.
2: I agree that musically, the song must have a great degree of integrity just within its structure to be so future-proof. And at the same time, when we look at the history of the ways in which it has been bought and sold and reinterpreted through other genres, it also really mirrors a lot of american history mm. and some of the darker sides of american history but i do appreciate your narrative of being able to reclaim uh, cultural items being able to acknowledge their history it gives them a lot more strength and i really hope that someone might actually buy up this rednecks band you <laughs> I I can put it out of business and frankly i don't really understand what cultural copyright can exist when really this should not have any sort of copyright. It's so many hundreds of years old and from a different culture. It it feels like someone just needs to uh, put that thing out in the creative commons.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, if if any listeners out there have 2 million euros lying around and want to do something for the greater good, go ahead, buy Rednecks and put it out of its misery. (laughs) Now... Charlie we've just broken down a weird 90s song that had uh, a number of surprising resonances wow I want to do the same thing in the second half and I'll just tease it a little bit by saying this one is equally bizarre (laughs) bizarre it's very bizarre Bizarre. okay (laughs)
0: see you on the other side how bizarre there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Support for this
3: show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome back to Switched on Pop Summer Throwback Edition. We are deep in the 90s, and Charlie, I want to spin one of my favorite 90s songs now.
4: Brother the in the back, sweet singers in the front, down the freeway in the hot, hot sun. Suddenly red, blue lights flash us from behind. Loud voice booming, please step out onto the line. Velvet bridge words of comfort. Cena just hides her eyes. Policeman caps the shades and sells a Zella Chevy 69. How bizarre! How bizarre!
2: You cut it off right before the hook,
1: man. (laughs) You're killing me. We'll get there. We'll get there. How bizarre, Charlie. What does this song make you think of? What memory does this dredge up for you? I told you this is a
2: period of just deep social embarrassment. So, you know, unfortunately, nothing good but like riding on buses and hoping that someone nice will sit next to me.
1: Oh, you're oh, such, a, <laughs> such a sweetheart. This, for me, this song is some unfinished business because I loved this song when it came out in the 90s. <laughs> you were very cool. And yet, I have no idea who it is by, what the story yeah. is, what it means. Yeah. I just dug it, you know? I just loved this song. And now, just as we did in the first half, I want to A, find out why this song is so effective, yep. and B, see if what we might see as kind of a aberration, one of these weird 90s songs, actually doesn't have something deeper underneath it. <laughs> If you're gonna
2: keep taking me down this like postmodern relays thing, you know that that is my jam. I like I like talking about that stuff, but maybe there's something uh, more upbeat about this one. I hope.
1: Uh, it's it's gonna be a mixed bag, Charlie. No, <laughs> right. no spoilers. Okay. We begin as always with the music. Give me that hook. Here it is. <laughs> I look around
4: <laughs>
2: okay the prominently featured Spanish guitar and accordion is fascinating the pretty out of tune backing vocals are also <laughs> bizarre and this definitely makes me think of the very early cynical version of myself it only got more cynical uh being like man anybody can write a pop song because geez like those lyrics don't mean anything.
1: Yes, no, you you once again have hit the nail on the head, Charlie, true to its name, this song is bizarre. It's really bizarre. Let's just go through the odd musical melange that's <laughs> present here. Great. As you said, we've got Spanish style guitar, which we can hear at the very beginning of the song. It's
2: particularly good in the uh, in like the pre-chorus, lead into the chorus. It's kind of the lead. It's like how bizarre. Don't 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 don't. You know, that it's the whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, the totally, the, totally. The guitar is the hook. <laughs> the guitar Weird. is the hook. And then we've got accordion in the in the hook, which is very surprising.
4: Yep. It's a-
1: Throughout, we have this programmed drum beat, just kind of chugging along without any variation. Oh, yeah. I hadn't noticed that. And my favorite, I think the coup de grace of this whole bizarre musical melange is the trumpet. Oh, I know, right? Which is kind of a little bit mariachi a a little bit uh like movie soundtrack a little bit salsa i don't know it shouldn't belong and yet it feels so good when it all comes together Wait, is this Sugar Ray? No. <laughs> no, once again, I'm intentionally withholding the band's name. We'll get there. I
2: have no idea who this is, but it has that. there'll be these little interludes be like, how bizarre. And it'll, it'll have like a DJ effect on it at the same time. And it feels very like 90s trying to reference hip hop in a very off color way. That's kind of in there too. I have to say, that I think really the most bizarre thing is the disaffected backing vocals, which are slightly out of tune. Yes. They're like, every time I look around, you're like, did you even
1: try? Uh, to your ears, perhaps jarring, <laughs> to mine uh, charming, but I, I totally hear where you're coming from. It may, I
2: have to say, it may be in your defense, it probably invites choruses of other people singing along. It has a vernacular quality to it. Ah,
1: Yes, yes, I think that's a really good call. Right, it's very, it's inviting. It's not intimidating. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel bad singing it because I couldn't butcher it any further.
1: Burn. At this point, let's reveal the artist behind this track. It is none other than <laughs> OMC. What? OMC, of course, everyone knows OMC. Of course.
2: That's like, oh my Hermudgeons? I don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, I'm not going to say that's a good guess. I'm just going to say that's a guess. <laughs> that that um, is a guess. But here's, here's where the story begins is with, with the name of this group, OMC. Mm-hmm. You're right. It does stand for something, yeah. and that is Otara Millionaires Club. What? The Otara Millionaires Club, named after... The neighborhood outside of Auckland, New Zealand, what? where this band came from. Its leader, Pauli Fumana, a Maori of Polynesian descent, yep. named this band after the majority Maori, very rough area of Auckland called Otara. So, this is kind of a tongue in cheek name Otara Millionaires Club.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: That doesn't make sense to people from New Zealand. That's, those things don't go together. It's, huh. uh, it's, it's, it's like straight out of Compton. This is claiming credit for your kind of disadvantaged neighborhood.
2: Okay, that's very cool. There's a lot more going on than I had anticipated because I thought this was just a silly pop song.
1: Absolutely. So did I, Charles. No, this is a really unlikely hit. In fact, this is the biggest act to come out of New Zealand – uh, since since lord <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i think they did better with lord but uh, hey what can i say well i'm uh, for all the hate you're gonna throw at omc i'm <laughs> gonna throw love right back because this is a unlikely rags to riches story to me oh cool. uh, a band coming out of the one of the roughest neighborhoods in a forgotten country to have international pop success mm. i think that's pretty cool that's super cool that's
2: super cool The curmudgeon was actually me, and it just has to do, again, with that terrible... Like, this music reminds me of a time that I didn't feel good about myself because I was in middle school, so... No.
1: You can you slash all those previous comments from the record. I get it. No, I mean, and that's why we're doing this summer throwback, Charles. Yeah, to exercise your demons. You know, this is a (laughs) a free therapy session. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, the story doesn't have a happy ending. Oh, shame! Like so many musical one-hit wonders, OMC burns bright Mm. and then burns out. Oh, bummer. Polly Fumana cannot handle this level of fame. It also emerges around his death in 2010 that he had been a longtime sufferer of uh, neurological disorder. Oh. He is unable to sustain any momentum from this hit. Hmm. And OMC, as quickly as they rise to the top of the pop, firmament crashes back down. Mm. they never have another hit they never even release another album Hmm. oh man sorry omc it's a bummer that might be the end of omc but i don't think it's the end of how bizarre i think we can give some more belated credit to polly fumana and this group yeah by digging into the lyrics of how bizarre before we do i want to prime you by just maybe giving a little more background to what it was like to be a a touring Maori artist in the antipodes during the nineties. I did a lot of research about OMC and I I came across one anecdote that kind of gets at the discrimination Mm. that this band must have faced as they made their way around New Zealand and Australia. One anecdote is revealing uh, a Australian radio DJ asked during an interview if he used sheep feces to style his hair because that's what Maoris do and then proceeded to, to crack up. Huh,
2: that's, yeah.
1: That's just one instance of what I imagined were many. I mean, this was someone who came from poverty and tried to make something of it himself and was knocked down at every turn right
2: now i feel absolutely terrible realizing that all of my associations with the song are just sort of these personal associations without actually having looked into the reality is that this there's a really amazing person and story behind it which is to say i don't mean to play into those same criticisms i just thought yeah. that how bizarre was a silly song but there's a whole lot
1: more there and i and i don't i don't blame you for that at all because i didn't know either i i was not expecting all this when i dug into the history <laughs> of this song yeah uh, with, it, with that in mind, though, let's go back to the supposedly bizarre lyrics yeah, great. of the very first verse here and see if there's not another meaning we can derive from them.
4: Brother Pellet's in the back, sweet singers in the front cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun Suddenly red, blue, blue lights, flash us from behind Loud voice booming, please step out onto the line
2: Whoa, this is like uh, a song about getting pulled over by the cops. Oh, wow. This is like an NWA track, but with
1: a lot more uh, fun. Exactly, right? This is three people of Maori descent driving down the street, getting pulled over demanding to be lined up uh, along the curb. Yeah. And then in this kind of almost magical reversal of the terrible ending that we might expect from this kind of encounter, the cop lowers his shades and asks, is that a Chevy 59? How bizarre.
2: How Okay, so the how bizarre is literally the like, wait, we thought that there was going to be some sort of injustice here. And yet the cop was just interested in a really cool car. <laughs> The irony in that makes it a, a sort of fun, upbeat summer song because there's this great contrast. Exactly,
1: right? And it's like a commentary on this particular instance yeah. and the bizarreness of uh, maybe the avoidance of violence. Yeah. And then it's also perhaps just a commentary on the world at large, which is bizarre, unfair, crazy. Yep. Uh, let's go back to the hook now. baby,
2: it's making me crazy every time I look around. The whole world's crazy. Yeah. It's in our face. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? I had never spent any attention looking into these lyrics, and I was just like, oh, baby. Okay, so it's just an oh, baby song. Everybody can write oh, baby. It's making me crazy. <laughs> crazy rhymes with baby. But it's interesting, though, because it doesn't the every time I look around, it's in my face doesn't share the rhyme scheme and instead is jarring and bizarre.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I,
2: I would assume would be, you know, an intentional creative choice to create some dissonance in your ear to pay attention to the bizarreness of
1: the sound, the bizarreness of the world. Yeah, wow. Well said, Chuck. I I, I didn't I didn't think of that. Yeah, you're right. It's in my face. That's not a a, a very generous uh, or positive sentiment. And yet when it's sung with this kind of sweetness and with as you said, a, you know, a slightly out of tuneness, it becomes very endearing and very human and very catchy Hmm. so there's a lot going on here maybe more than meets the ear oh my gosh yeah absolutely you notice that later on in the song they say something
2: like jumped into the Chevy and headed for big lights wanted to know the rest hey buy the rights (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you think this band's for sale too I mean hey buy the rights like is there like is it like if you buy the rights of the song you get the rest of the story (laughs)
1: Um Charlie, I have no answer to that. You just linked
2: OMC with uh Cotton Eye Joe unintentionally.
1: Yeah. Wow. Hey by the rights. You know, I will say that Sister Cena, who uh mm-hmm. is mentioned at the very beginning and who sings the the hook on this track, mm-hmm. they just recently released her album, which never came out you know, in the nineties. So Yeah, maybe there is a second life for some of the members of OMC. Uh, Let's go, and and I I can only maybe end this segment by encouraging people like (coughs) you, Charlie, (coughs) hater, Charlie, (coughs) to uh, go listen to a couple more tracks. Check out On The Run and another song with a slightly out of tune vocal that I can't help but love right on. Oh my gosh i don't know about you but i would happily put this on my summer 2018 playlist oh absolutely
2: i mean i now listening to another song of theirs you can hear the connections to other polynesian music as well with the uh hawaiian slide guitar kind of sounds and even just the sort of guitar uh, rhythms and backing acoustic instruments and so all of a sudden i'm like oh my gosh omc isn't some silly little pop song. In fact, I should have noticed that when I was a kid too, right? Because like accordion, trumpet, guitar. (laughs) Right, right. They do not sound like anything on the pop tracks and yet somehow I just thought it was Sugar Ray, which is I feel really bad about. I was a real jerk.
1: I guess to answer the question that we posed at the beginning of this episode, why were the 90s so weird? The only answer I can give is because we weren't listening close enough. Mm, Yeah. How bizarre. How bizarre, Charlie. Glad we listened closely now.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming!